0: Julia is here. For those of you with children, would like to meet her back there for uh, your Bible bags. Today we're talking about community and healthy community. And one of the things that is important about any community is why are they together? What is the core basis or purpose of that? And I want to play the video that you've all seen, and I want you to think of it in terms of what does it mean for us to be a free Methodist community. The Free Methodist Church is a connectional church, strengthened most by our relationships based on truthfulness and grace. We are committed to loving God, loving others, and making disciples as we expand the kingdom of God, inviting all to join the community of Christ. In this we believe there are essential freedoms that make this kind of community possible. All races and ethnicities are free to live and worship together. The kingdom of God is made up of people from every race and ethnicity. From the abolition of slavery to the civil rights movement to the human trafficking that you find today, we as a church community are continuing to fight injustice across the nation and around the world. Women and men are free to be treated equally. The Free Methodist Church emphasizes the important role of both women and men as spiritual leaders. We believe that leadership in the church is based on giftedness, not gender, and that God equips both women and men with His Holy Spirit and calls both to lead within His church. We proclaim a grace that is free. Christian community is built on living in love with God and others, not on the socioeconomic status or resources of those who gather. Love is the key to engaging the world. We believe that God's love instills grace on the individual and is the equalizing force in God's economy. Leadership in the church is freely shared by clergy and laity. The Free Methodist Church believes that all are called to impact the world for Christ and should be equipped for service. We empower and expect our members to use their spiritual gifts for God's glory. All of us have the freedom to be led by the Holy Spirit in worship. The Holy Spirit calls us all to live and worship in our own unique ways as we respond to His grace. We believe that a variety of worship styles are the expression of the same Holy Spirit. God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still separated from Him in our sin, Christ died to set us free. This gift of love brings life, and God's life transforms us. The Free Methodist Church is a supportive community of Christians, depending on the Holy Spirit, working together to deepen our relationships with God and one another in the expansion of the kingdom of God. We believe that these essential freedoms make this kind of community possible. Now if you stop and think about the basic freedoms and the basic core identity that causes us as a community uh, to be together, not all communities are formed in that way. You have probably saw this in the Wall Street Journal. It's a chart that was taken as they looked at how the United States is creating a community response, a, a group response, to the threat or the fear that we all have of ISIS. Now, that is another type of community than the one based on love and the freedom in Christ that the church is. But it is nevertheless a community. But it's based around a mutual fear and a mutual hatred. It's hard for us to understand how such fear can truly create healthy community. It may be a necessary alliance, and there are other things that are happening with NATO and so on. And as we talked about last week, we're hoping that we will turn to some other power, the power of God and his love, to deal with the the hurt of this world. But if we do not transcend the human frailty of fear and hatred towards another group, and that becomes our community, then the community itself will be unstable. It will be unhealthy in in various and, and multiple ways. The same is true of many other communities that can form around the community of thieves or the mafia or other kinds of things. If the very core of the community is based on some kind of mutual fear or hatred or thievery, then that deformed form of humanity will deform the members who are a part of that community. But that's only one way in which communities can become deformed if we're created and, and formed around a wrong core or an unhealthy basis, there's another thing that can happen to us, and that's what we want to talk about today. And that is that a community can, in fact, be formed around God's love and God's freedom and God's ministry of care. Yet, if the individual members of that community don't act in loving and healthy ways with each other— then, in fact, that community will become sick. It will become deformed because it's formed around the right thing but deformed in the way it lives out that community. For example, let me give you an example before we bring it over to the church. In an academic community, as in force, it has at its core the education of the next generation of human beings. Now, that's a great purpose and core and can create great community. But imagine a school in which the faculty members, the administration, the students don't treat one another in healthy ways. They are perhaps competitive or manipulative or they gossip against one another or they treat people unjustly within that community or perhaps they are racist or they are patriarchal or they're classist. Then even though the core of the community is there to bring about education of the next generation, they will, in fact, create a community that's so deformed that every person who enters it will be deformed by the sickness that has overtaken uh, that community. The same is true of the Church of Jesus Christ. Our core purpose is to love God and to love others, as we just saw in the video to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, to baptize them, to teach them all that he said, to facilitate spiritual growth such that each of us can live together in the ways of God and the peace of God, and we can live together in healthy ways. Now, this redemptive community is, according to God, the hope of the world. The church is the means whereby God is bringing about salvation into the world. What we bind and what we loose has eternal implications. But if the members of a church do not treat one another in healthy ways and instead sin against each other, then that church becomes an unhealthy community. And everyone who enters it will in fact become harmed by the very relationships that God intends to bring about redemption. Now we would like to think that this cannot happen in the church. That the people of God brought together by God and birthed into uh, this wonderful family of God means that all sin is out there and it does not come in here. But the very words of Jesus that we're about to read show that that is not true. In fact, Jesus knows that we are going to sin against one another, and we need a way to forgive and cleanse and heal the deformity that that does to us, both individually as we do it to each other, but also in a community in which that kind of behavior is allowed to go on without being uh, confronted and stopped. And so he teaches us how to heal this disease of sin within us and within the church. Uh, We call it the Matthew 18 principle, and it is one of the most important portions of Jesus' teachings for the well-being of a church as a whole, as we uh, are, in fact, God's people bringing His salvation into the world. So let's go to Matthew 18. We're going to start with the 15th verse, and we're going to go through the 20th verse. Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they do not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name there I am with them. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, we're so thankful uh, that you acknowledge who we really are and you give us your wonderful son. Jesus, we're so thankful that you teach us honestly and openly what we're going to experience and what we need in order to find new life and to give live together in love and peace with our neighbors. And so I would ask that now as we prepare to partake of this blessed sacrament, this wonderful moment of healing and cleansing and forgiveness, that you would speak to each of us, that we would be open to you, we'd be honest with you and ourselves, and that we as a family of God would maintain the unity and the bond of peace. So be with us right now, and we will give you the praise. Amen. Now, the the principle is very simple. It's very straightforward. He describes it easy enough. Someone sins. And not just anyone. This is your brother, uh, someone with whom you share a bond. It could be a fellow Christian with whom you have worshipped or shared some exalted heavenly place. And a Delphos of yours, someone close to you, a brother or sister sins. And how they sin doesn't seem to be a point of concern to Jesus. Although some sins definitely hurt more. When someone sins against us in some ways, it hurts far greater than if they sinned against us in other ways. For Jesus, it doesn't matter how we sin against one another. There's no ranking of sin in its impact on the individual or the community, both the one who is sinning and the person sinned against and the community of which they are a part. We need to heal that sin, whatever it is that has happened. So he's simply saying, when a brother or sister, someone close to you, sins against you, then this is what you do. So when that happens, Protect the dignity. Protect the relationship. Go privately. Just the two of you. Talk about it. Now it's interesting, of course, that in modern pastoral care we come up with all these procedures of how you do reconciliation. I do them almost daily in helping people be reconciled in various ways, both within marriage and family and business and community. But Jesus doesn't seem to think it requires all that. He just says, go talk about it humbly. Listen, humbly hear so that you could be restored once more in that bond of intimacy uh, that Adolphos describes. So we protect the dignity. We respect the relationship. We go privately. We come in love. However much we might be hurting because they hurt us, we do not hurt in return, as we talked about last week. We do not replace evil with evil in a response of evil to evil, but rather, in fact, we go privately in love. Now you can see that in this first step, Jesus is primarily talking about someone who sins against us, and we know it. We perhaps are the only one who know it, and so we go to them that we might have their behavior changed. That's interesting that the word repent does not mean necessarily to feel bad about things. It means to stop doing what you were doing, to turn away from that and to behave in a different kind of way. And so, however they harmed us, our trust now has been broken. Our, our safety in their presence has been broken. Our community has now been impacted because there's a, a problem between two people in our community and that when we go to them help them to know how it is that they harmed us and then as they humbly confess and admit and own it then forgiveness is possible reconciliation is done the scar that is left is even a stronger bond as you know as that which God heals we now have worked through and it becomes even a stronger community because we've worked it through. For those of you who have spent any time with Cheryl and I in any kind of, of teaching context in community life, you know that we talk about the 18 behaviors that are unsafe, unhealthy, that are damaging. The researchers have found that these are things that cause spiritual trauma, which means it's it's not just that it causes uh, difficulty in the relationship when we treat one another this way, but when we treat someone in this way, we traumatize their soul, their very sense of of value and of worth and and of of importance, and we damage them. It can be something as simple, they have found, as just not listening to what they say to us. It can, of course, progress down to being very uh, destructive, often sarcastic, teasing, we're at their expense. We try to make humor. It can be, of course, down to abandoning them, rejecting, betraying, and finally the most, most destructive level is simply to attack them. And it's amazing to me how often people who are the closest to one another will attack one another and attack their character and their name and their, their personhood. Now when not addressed, these sins against another person will cause such deep wounds that the very soul of the person becomes traumatized and they then have difficulty feeling safe with God and safe with others and connected to one another and it causes all kinds of of difficulty in feeling as though sometimes they're not even lovable let alone that they're not loved. Now, what's interesting is that if this becomes a way of life for a church or a Bible study or a uh, ministry group uh, that is doing things, I've seen it take place in choirs and other kinds of things, then not only do the individuals become damaged, but the entire community of which that they are a part becomes damaged. But when it becomes a way of life, to privately, with loving respect, help one another realize how our behavior is harming another person, so that we can change. Then we become a very different thing, a wonderful, healthy, biblical community in which every person who enters that community becomes and has the possibility of being healed and changed and transformed as the likeness of Christ becomes the norm of the way, as we follow the teachings of Christ in the simplest of ways, as we see in the Matthew 18 principle. Now, Jesus goes on, of course, and explains that if we're not humble when someone comes to us, and so we won't listen to what they have to say, then for their sake, as well as for the community's sake, we take someone with us. It's a a wise person, a trusted person. Usually something that someone the other person trusts as well. It can be a pastor, a counselor, a witness. But again, if they won't listen, Jesus says, then eventually this lowest level of spiritual trauma, in fact, harms us. It causes them to then no longer be an adelphos because if you take it to the logical extreme as Jesus does and says if they won't listen and then if they won't listen and if they won't listen then they become not an adolphos but a foreigner to the group a group a person that doesn't act and behave in the ways of the people of God and they're no longer then a part of the community even if in physical proximity they're they're with the group They're not in Adelphos. They're a stranger to the ways of God. They're foreign to the thoughts of God. Uh, They do not live together in the bond of peace. Now, in a way that brings all of Jesus' teachings together, the sacrament of Holy Communion is the time when we, together, as a community, both commit ourselves to live by God's holy ways, to repent of our sins, to live in love and peace with one another, and then together to make a general confession so that we admit that we need God's forgiveness and cleansing and empowerment. It's in this moment then that God says, Rise, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. You are restored both to me and to your community. Go and sin no more, as Jesus says. If we do not enter into that place, then we live in a place of isolation and where our sins increasingly isolate us and where we're not a part of this eternal community in which God has already birthed us and wanted us uh, to be a part of the family of God. Now, if it is your desire this morning to experience the fullness that God has for you, both as an individual and within this larger community, then we invite you to participate with us in this sacrament of Holy Communion. We serve open communion, which means it's open to every human being who responds to the invitation of Christ. And we invite you to experience the freedom that God has Because this open communion is for the entire community of God's people.